Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you once again to open God's word, to go to him as our source of life. And as Peter said, where else should we go? Because he has the words of life. So let's pray one more time, and then we'll get into God's word. Oh, Lord, there's no, truly nowhere else we should go. So we go to you, Lord Jesus, as the one who has the words of life. We pray that you would use your word in our hearts right now. Use your word to convict us, to correct us, and change us so that we will look more like you as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So several months ago after we moved here, I got a text message. And the text message read, your package will not be delivered. Click here for more details. We had just moved, and we were changing our mailing address, so making sure that everything was right, and we were starting to get our mail, so that seemed legit to me. So I clicked the button, and it took me to the United States Postal Service website, which looked legit, and it had the places for me to put in my login information, which also looked legit. So I put in my username and my password, and I logged in. And the page said that my package, whatever this package was, was not properly delivered to my address. And it also says that they needed my credit card information in order to make sure that my package would be rightly released. Now again, we had just moved, making sure our mailing situation was correct, and they were only asking for a penny. So I got my card, put in my credit card information, clicked the button, submitted everything, and I felt accomplished because I was looking after our family, making sure we would get our mail. But a few days later, I started to notice that there were a few purchases made from that same credit card that I use with these places I've never been to with these outrageous charges. And then it dawned on me that they, whoever they were, got me. It was a scam the whole time and I fell for it. Have you ever been there in some sort of situation thinking that you're mature, you're an adult, there's no way you could possibly be deceived, and there you were on the phone with credit card companies telling them that, no, I don't live in Wyoming. That purchase was not mine. Embarrassed because you fell for a lie. But what about when the stakes are much higher than that? What about when the stakes are spiritual? What about those who give their time, their money, their energy to a minister or to a church, and they eventually discover that that was all a scam, a lie? Paul's charge to Timothy here in our text this morning should humble us but by God's grace, it should also help us so that we too are not deceived. So if you haven't turned there already, please meet me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And that's on page 996 in the Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love you to take that Bible home as our gift to you. And what we're going to be doing this morning with God's help is that we're going to be completing part two of the section where we left off from last week entitled Righteous Living for Difficult Days. 
And Paul has already been warning his son in the faith, Timothy, about rightly receiving and rightly guarding and stewarding the gospel message and the gospel ministry. And Timothy was to do this even in the midst of difficult days that he was experiencing, even in times when others would swerve away from the truth of the gospel, when they would leave Paul and leave the faith. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 26, Paul gave Timothy this picture of a household and instructed him that he should have been an honorable vessel, a clean vessel to be useful to the master of the house, so that the master may grant repentance to those who turn towards him, to those who are once going astray. So Timothy was to pursue righteous living, but in today's passage, we'll also focus on the second part of that, because Timothy's also told what and who he should avoid in living righteously. So follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. But understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. This is Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, being corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. If you're taking notes this morning, the main idea for this week is the same as last week, so I'll tell you one more time. For the sake of the truth, God's people should pursue righteous living and avoid unrighteous leaders. Today we'll focus on the latter part, avoiding unrighteous leaders. And to do that, we're going to focus on this passage in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to walk through it as we go through and expose the truth about false teachers, as we'll see several truths that the passage will show us. And then... We'll, we'll have a point of application where we will talk about how to avoid unrighteous leaders. So first of all, first part of this message, the truth about false teachers as we walk through this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If we look back to verse 26 of chapter 2, it ended with this hope of God granting repentance to those who once swerved away from the faith. And God may use our righteous lives to bring that about. And that's what we pray for, particularly for those who we know who were once following Jesus and now they have been deceived or even distracted. But chapter 3 starts with a reality check for Timothy and for all of us. It starts with the fact that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. And Paul's reference here to the last days is referring to the times between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, 
For example, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God spoke to us by his Son. Or even think of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, when he's warning his disciples about the coming of these last days. And he says, what will happen? He says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says. So Paul is telling Timothy that we are in those last days and that he should expect more difficulty to come. But what's interesting here about this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we go through that list once of one, one more time, you'll see that it's dealing a lot with people's loves and their affections, which is kind of like Jesus said. Jesus said the love of many will grow cold, Right? So as God's people, we should not be surprised when we see and hear of this happening. But for the sake of God's truth, we must know who to avoid and learn how to avoid these false teachers. So here's part of the truth about false teachers. So we go back to our passage starting in verse 2. They have the wrong loves. They have the wrong loves. Look again at verse 2. Two, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's quite a list, isn't it? There's like 19 or 20 different things there. But notice it says a lot about love. It says that people will love themselves. They will love money. They will love pleasure. They will not love what is good, and they will not love God. They love themselves, they love their stuff, and they love the world. But what does the Bible teach about that? First John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is, from, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And he goes on to say, the world and these things are passing away, but whoever does the will of the Father will abide forever. And that's a lot of what this list is about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It sounds a lot like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These temptations are as old as the Garden of Eden. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were tempted with in the Garden. Beloved, Satan's schemes have not changed. We must be aware of his schemes so that we are not deceived ourselves. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
you need to know that the sincerity of these people who are deceived is not the point. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Who are these people that Paul's talking about here? They're leaders, many of them, like those who upset the faith of some, as we talked about in chapter 2, and their false teaching was spreading like gangrene in the church. Or even in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we'll hear about in a couple weeks, Lord willing, Paul telling Timothy that eventually people will not endure sound teaching. They won't want to hear it anymore. They will find teachers to, to suit their own passions. So Paul has in mind here people who are not satisfied with receiving the faith as it's been handed down to us, and leaders who will happily scratch that itch for them. Leaders who will happily lead them away from God's word and from the faith. But you would think with a list like this, these people would be easy to spot, right? Like, of course, I don't want to go that way. I want to go the opposite way. But the hard thing about these false teachers is that though they have the wrong loves, secondly, they have the right look. Look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Paul's saying that these people will appear godly. Their ministry looks successful, and they look powerful. Brothers and sisters, do not mistake success or influence for godliness. It's not a one-to-one. And don't look for power outside of the Holy Spirit. False teachers do not rely on God's power because they do not have God's Spirit. Just think of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, when Paul tells Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of self-control. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that lives within us. But false teachers don't have that power. They can't access it. They just have the form of it. They just have the look of it. They look the part. But they are actually servants of Satan. Paul says also in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's talking about these false apostles that were on the rise, he says this to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Therein will correspond to their deeds, Paul says. Now, as we think of false teachings and false teachers, some pictures might quickly come to mind. We might think of the pastor with the jet, right? We might think of prosperity preachers preaching health, wealth, and happiness and getting this best life now. And many of us have learned over the years to see and hear that teaching and avoid it and think, I want nothing to do with that, right? And we teach others to do the same. But what about all of these pastors in churches that we could probably name over the last several years that not, are not in those camps, that actually are more in our camps, if I want to use that term, and they've been exposed for their abuse, for their mismanagement of money, 
for their manipulation, for their lack of self-control, for their pride. What about them? And when it comes out, when people are interviewed, when you're talking to members of that church, what do they often say? They say things like, it seemed like God was working. The church continued to grow. People kept getting saved. Brothers and sisters, it's worth repeating, do not mistake success in ministry for godliness. That's why we need to be looking for a different set of metrics. We need to be looking with different lenses, with different perspectives. We are to look for righteousness, and we are to look for faithfulness. And that doesn't always show up on the scoreboard, but it always shows up in God's scoreboard. And that's why we need to pray, because we need God's help so that we can avoid unrighteous teachers and teaching. That's why Paul is telling this to Timothy. And these false teachers, they deceive many, the word says. And they do so by feeding into people's sinful desires. Think of those verses in chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Think about it. We love ourselves, right? And money can be useful, right? That's kind of the default setting for us. We look after ourselves without God's help. We look after our own pleasure without God's help. That's why Paul is warning Timothy about this. Just think about it, though. Why is Paul telling Timothy, a faithful pastor, to avoid these people? Why not confront them? I think Paul is telling Timothy this for the same reason that he's giving this warning to begin with. Because all of us can be deceived. False teachers appeal to our own pride and our desire to look after ourselves. And if we listen long enough, we might like what we hear. Just think of Edmund, for example, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he was given these Turkish delights, right? He loves them. And he kept coming back for more. And every time he came back for more, it cost him more each time. And that's exactly like sin is, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, whether we're tempted to sin or we're tempted to stray away from the truth of God's word, we fight by fleeing. That's how we gain the victory. So false teachers have the wrong loves, they have the right look, and they go after the vulnerable. Look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Paul says that these false teachers, they creep into households, which could either mean the household of faith, like our previous example talks about, or household. Houses, homes, either way, it says that these false teachers, they capture weak women. So what does that mean? Some translations may read gullible, but in the Greek, that's actually translated or better translated as little women. 
But Paul's not trying to be demeaning to women as he uses this statement. But he's talking about women, particularly, who are vulnerable in this position. As he says in verse 7, these are, or, or verse 6, these are women who are burdened with their own sins, and they are led astray by various uh, passions. So they're weak morally. They're seeking knowledge. They don't have a firm grasp of the truth. So then they're also weak on doctrine. They're weak on the truth. They're trying to find God's help. They're trying to find truth, and they'll listen to whoever will give it to them. I think the point of focusing on women in this passage is because, once again, this kind of deceit goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When a serpent crept in, captured Eve's attention, deceived her with cunning words, and led her astray, all while Adam remained silent, apparently. Now, this passage obviously applies to much broader than women. It applies to lots of different people. But the question should be asked, where were the righteous men in these churches or in these homes? Or were the men in the church or the homes who should have been looking after these women, who should have been looking after the vulnerable to make sure they would not be deceived? Or like God asked Adam in the garden, where are you? These women, instead of being cared for, were being exploited, in part because either the righteous men who were around were nowhere to be found, or they were not listening or paying attention. They were passive. They remained silent. Dear brothers, let that not be said of us. In this church or in our homes, may we not be passive like Adam, but may we be active like the true and better Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who came to this world out of love, who came to destroy the works of the devil, who came to free many from the snare of the devil, to open the eyes of the blind, to speak truth in the face of those who lied about God, who lied about God's word, who lied about God's ways. Jesus showed up and he was not passive. He also was not abusive. He was not disobedient. He was not without self-control. He loved God completely, and he loved people correctly. And he, in the power of the Holy Spirit, crushed the head of the serpent through his death, burial, and resurrection from the cross. He died to pay the penalty that we all deserve for our sins against God, so that anyone who puts their faith in God, who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved will be rescued from the domain of darkness and enter into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ the Lord. And if you're here and you're uncertain of the gospel truth, or if you look at the church, or if you look at Facebook or Twitter, and you're discouraged about what you see on people's timelines about the church, you might look and think, I want no parts of that. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is not like that. A lot of those people do not represent the Lord Jesus Christ. He is gentle. He is lowly. He is holy. He is just. He is merciful. And he is able to save you today from your sins if you turn from it and put your faith in him. And brothers and sisters in Christ, make no mistake, God is still at work in and through his church. 
Don't be distracted by the nonsense that you might see on social media. Don't be distracted by the books that you might see on bookshelves and think that God is not at work. Make no mistake that though these wolves seem to be prevailing, the good shepherd is still tending after his flock. That's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Brothers and sisters, continue to follow the good shepherd and he will guide you into all truth. And let me also say, if you've been hurt by some shepherds, by some churches, by some pastors who did not lead in the way of Jesus, remember that they are not rightly representing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. Trust him and do not give up on his bride, the church. False teachers, they have the wrong loves, they have the right look, they go after the vulnerable, and they oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. Our passage started, uh, or if we think about uh, verse 25, it starts with this call to truth, right? So chapter 2, verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then our passage here ends with another call to the truth. Look at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, and corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. These men, these false teachers, oppose the truth of God's word, and they oppose the gospel. They are actively working against the spread of the gospel. And that's what puts them in a completely different category than who Paul's referring to in verse uh, 26 of chapter 2. Paul's saying, some of these people who are deceived, God may grant them repentance. But these false teachers, they're in a league of their own. That's why they should be avoided. If you look at even verse 8 again, he says they're not disqualified simply from the ministry. They're disqualified regarding the faith. And Paul also uses two other names here, Janis and Jambres, to show what this opposition to truth actually looks like and where it ultimately would lead. So Janis and Jambres are not named in the Bible, but they were referred to in our scripture reading from this morning in Exodus chapter 7, 1 through 13. But in other Jewish sources, like the Talmud, for example, they are actually named as the Egyptian sorcerers who were mimicking the works that Moses and Aaron did before Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron did exactly what the Lord commanded, and they cast down Aaron's staff, and it became a serpent to show the works of God. But then Pharaoh called these other two guys, maybe some more guys, and asked them to perform the same miracle. And they did. But kids in the room, do you remember either from Exodus or from our scripture reading? What did Aaron's staff do to the staff of those other men? Elijah? It ate them up. It swallowed them up. God was basically saying, you think you're strong, but I'll show you that I'm stronger. Right? But even still, Pharaoh's heart was still hard towards the Lord. 
So Janes and Jambres and Pharaoh opposed Moses and the truth of God's word, and they still did not listen. And later in Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron turned the water of the Nile River into blood. And guess what the Egyptian uh, magicians did? Any guesses? Anybody remember? What did they do? They did the same thing. So this back and forth mimicking was going on throughout. They did the same thing. They wanted to show that they were powerful too. I think this also kind of sheds light on verse 5 of our passage for this morning. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Right? It looks like these are the same miracles, but this is not the power of God. It's a different power. But people might think it looks the same, so it must be of God. Right? But those who oppose the truth are opposing not just God's workers, but God himself. And false teachers, when they're opposing either the truth of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ or the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, or they're watering down the person and or they're watering down the, the Bible and the truth of the Bible, or they're diminishing the authority of the Bible, they are opposing the truth and they are opposing God. They're not just adjusting to the times. They're making God their enemy, and that's a bad move for anybody to do. But I love how Jesus puts it when he's arguing with the, the Sadducees who wanted to water down the teaching of God's word, who argued about the resurrection. Jesus said this in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. He said, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures or the power of God. Friends, to oppose God's truth in any way is to oppose to oppose God himself. God himself will win out. And God himself will show that his truth will prevail. So if you are opposing him today, then put your weapons down. Trust him. Put your faith in him. He is faithful and just to even accept you and to his family. Brothers and sisters, have no fear because though these false teachers might be mimicking the work of God and it might look like they're powerful or successful, we will see that they will not win out. Just like Janice and Jambres and their opposition to the truth did not win out. False teachers have the wrong loves. They have the right look. They prey on the vulnerable and they oppose the truth, but have no fear because lastly, the Lord will deal with them. Look at verse 9 in our passage. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. If we think of the story of Exodus, we know how this played out. Pharaoh's heart, heart was continued to be hardened towards God's word and God's ways. The magicians continued to try to mimic the works of God, but you know one thing they could not mimic? The last one. The last plague, the death of the firstborn, the Passover. In fact, even Pharaoh's house was struck down in the Passover. So Pharaoh had to eventually let God's people go. And God's truth prevailed ultimately over God's enemies. That's what Paul wants Timothy to remember with this reference here. 
And beloved, that's what we should remember as well, that God's truth will ultimately prevail over his enemies. False teachers will be exposed for their lives, either in this day or on the last day. False teachers will cease because the father of lies will be put down to nothing. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire, God's word says. And God's people will rule and reign in the new heavens and new earth with no fear, with no tears, with no trembling, with no pain, with no more opposition to the truth, because no lies will be able to enter into the new Jerusalem. But until that day, for the sake of the truth, we are called as God's people to pursue righteous living and to avoid unrighteous leaders. And how do we do that? How do we do that individually? How do we do that in our families? How do we do that as a church? A few points of application. How to avoid unrighteous leaders. First of all, love God and love his word. Love God and love his word. Remember, these false teachers, they were marked by the wrong loves. So we are called to have the right loves, the right love for God and the right love for God's word. Christian, do you love God? Can you think of a time in your life where your love for God was more evident? It just flowed a little bit freer? When my wife and I started dating, I remember what it would feel like to wait for her phone call, to anticipate her calling me back. And when I was away from her, I would think, I wonder what she's doing right now. I wonder how she's feeling right now. I wonder how, what she's up to. And I was eager to see her. And let me just say, I'm still eager to see her, by God's grace. But this should remind us of this, brothers and sisters. Are you eager to see the Lord? Are you eager to meet with the Lord? Do you look around at your life and think, I wonder what God is up to right now? I wonder what he's doing in my life. I wonder what he's doing in my kids' life. I wonder what he's doing in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you eager to spend time with him in prayer? Are you excited to hear him speak to you through his word? If there's anything getting in the way of your love, it is not worth it, brothers and sisters. It's not. And think about loving for God, love for God and also love for God's word. Like, I remember when I was a new Christian and much of the Bible was new to me because I didn't go, grow up reading or hearing about the Bible. And I would hear a verse referred to in a sermon, for example, right? And then I might hear something else referred to in that same verse later on in the day. A friend might mention something or I might hear something on the radio you know what I always thought or I quickly thought? God must be trying to tell me something, right? Like I'm hearing the same thing more than once. God must be trying to get my attention specifically about that very thing in his word. But how easy it is as the years go by to hear God's truth over and over and over again and think, I've heard that already. I know that already. 
That's not new to me. Remember that God's word is living and active because our God is living and active. And as we'll learn next week, Lord willing, from Jonathan Lehman, God's word is profitable for God's people in any and every circumstance. And our love for God and his word helps us to avoid these unrighteous leaders because we won't settle for anything less than a love for God and a love for his word. We won't settle for the counterfeits. We won't be lulled away by lesser loves. We won't be lulled away by people teaching us things that are not in God's word. We won't put up with it because we love God too much. Beloved, if you feel that your love for the Lord has grown cold, pray Ask for his help and do the works you did at first. Secondly, lean into the local church. Lean into the local church. These false teachers were infiltrating churches. They were aiming to deceive. But Paul was instructing Timothy to remain faithful and to shepherd his flock rightly and to avoid these teachers. Timothy was to teach his people to do the exact same thing. That's why it's important that we're not discipled by by ministries that are outside of this church primarily. That's why it's important that we are discipled by the ministry of the local church. Because we know and love the pastors at our church. We can actually talk to them. We can actually ask questions. We can actually hear from them. They actually pray for us. By God's grace, they comfort us when we're going through afflictions. No podcast pastor will do that for you, beloved. Now, you can listen to faithful teachers and learn from them, just like I do. But they are not your pastors. And God wants us to live local lives in the local church where we can flesh this out together, where we can lean on one another. Because those pastors, whoever they are, will not give an account for your soul. So if you're here and you're not a member of any church, Become a member of a church. Do your homework. Pray. Ask for help. Ask for recommendations. You need the ministry of the local church in your life for your good, for your discipleship, and so you are not deceived. And members of CBC, continue to pray for your pastors here. Pray that our lives and our doctrines would continue to match. And also be on the lookout for other faithful men who are already doing the work of pastoring right now. And they can be appointed by God's grace as pastors within our church. Maybe you're wondering, even after all this, how can you know for sure if somebody's a false teacher? Maybe you would be helped if I just started naming names for you. Like avoid them. It's a little bit tempting, but I'm not going to do that. But think of it this way. False teachers are those that fall outside the lines of orthodoxy, meaning they play by their own rules. It's like Uno, right? The card game. I love playing Uno. It's one of those games, though, that is kind of based on house rules. Whoever has a deck of cards, they're deciding what the rules actually are, right? Like, can I make someone draw 75? Or do I need to keep picking up after I don't have the cards? 
Are we matching color and number or just, or just color or just number? Like, what are the rules here? Nobody picks up the deck of cards, look at, it at the back or the rules. No one plays by those rules. We play by our own rules with uno, right? But in God's house, there is one master, and we are called to play by his rules alone, and that's it. That's why we rely on God's word as our final and ultimate authority. That's even why, as a church, we have a statement of faith and a covenant that draws out the truths from God's word. That's why even learning from church history and learning from Christians before us is important because we're making sure that we're not just changing up the rules, that we're not just playing with house rules. No, that we are rightly guarding the gospel that we've been given, that's been passed down to us. And we need the church's help in order to do that faithfully. And keep in mind, there might be brothers and sisters that you agree with on the gospel, but that you disagree with on other matters. Please make sure that you are not dismissing those as non-Christians. We need to be able to rightly discern the difference. Maybe they do have a different mode of baptism. Maybe they do have a different order of church government. Maybe they do have different political views. But if we agree on the gospel, those are true Christians. You might not be members of the same church. We should be rightly able to affirm them because they're, or affirm them because they're within the bounds of orthodoxy. But false teachers fall outside of those bounds. They disagree about the person and work of Jesus Christ and God's word. Those are like the two main categories. Who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what is God's word? Can we mess with it? Can we change it for our times? Was Jesus actually divine, or did he become divine later on? Or was he actually human or not really human? That's outside of the bounds of orthodoxy. Paul says, avoid such teachers. And if you're still not sure, ask somebody in your church. Ask one of your pastors. Ask a small group leader. Ask one of your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not sure if someone's ministry is worth following. Lastly, third point of application, look after the vulnerable. Look after the vulnerable. Think about Jesus in John chapter 21 when he asked Peter, do you love me three times? Peter says, yes, you know I love you. What was Jesus' response? What did he say? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Look after my people. For our teens in the room, one of the ways that you can know that you're growing in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is that you're concerned not only about your faith, but about the faith of others. Maybe your little brother or little sister or other friends around you. And as that happens, be encouraged because God is at work in your heart. You're looking at others. We all have influence over others. We all can be used to help others turn away from false teaching and follow true teachings. So maybe you know of a younger Christian, for example. Maybe you know that they're reading all sorts of books. And part of you is just happy that they're reading something that's kind of biblical. But you hear the name, you see the cover, and you're like, uh, I don't know about that. Sometimes we might be tempted to just say, 
it's okay, I guess. It's kind of Christian. But no, God wants to use us in those moments to gently say, I think I can recommend something that's more faithful to the scriptures than that. And walk alongside them in that way. Parents, this falls on us as well, doesn't it? Looking out for our children and looking out for what they may be learning in the world around them and helping them to filter it with the unchanging truths of God's word. That takes time and effort, but it is worth it. Or maybe you know someone that's in a vulnerable situation right now because of sin that they're struggling with or because of suffering that they're enduring. Maybe they haven't been to church in a while. Maybe you haven't seen them in small group for months. Reach out to them. Send them a text. Give them a phone call. Drive to their house if you need to. Try to find ways to encourage them. Remind them of the gospel and do not assume that they're doing just fine because they may not be. Let's model our Lord Jesus Christ who left the 99 to go after the one. Brothers and sisters, remember that we do have an enemy and we do live in difficult days, but remember the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we pursue righteous living, avoid unrighteous leaders, and as we do, keep our eyes on our good shepherd. Let me pray for us. Lord, please give us grace to follow you in obedience, to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, to not be discouraged, to not be distracted, to not be swayed away from your truth. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.